the soul golden What you got, you're the golden child I see forever between you and me Forever between us In 1972, the novelist Alice Walker published an essay called In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. The essay was rooted by the following question. How was the creativity of the Black woman kept alive year after year and century after century when for most of the years Black people have been in America, it was a punishable crime for a Black person to read or write? This essay asks us to consider the agony of the lives of women who might have been poets, novelists, essayists, and short story writers, those women who died with their real gifts stifled within them. The title, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, was inspired by Walker's own mother. You see, her mother had a beautiful garden outside of their family home in Georgia. It was so beautiful that strangers would ask to admire it. I want to share the following quote from the essay because it speaks to the theme of this season in a most elegant way. Walker writes, I notice that it is only when my mother is working in her flowers that she is radiant, almost to the point of being invisible, except as creator, hand and eye. She is involved in work her soul must have ordering the universe in the image of her personal conception of beauty. Take a moment to consider these questions. What is the work that your soul must have? How are you ordering the universe in the image of your own personal conception of beauty? Welcome to season three of the Black and Real Life podcast, Worlds Within Worlds. Rather than discussing the ways in which we can be influenced by things of the world or the ways of the world, this season of the Black and Real Life podcast looks into how individuals build worlds of care within themselves and for themselves through art, through everyday rituals, and through community. Through these self-validating practices, this season of the Black and Real Life podcast reveals the ways that individuals can influence the world simply by creating their own. It's a Monday evening and I'm making dinner for myself in my apartment. I live in the Atlanta metropolitan area and I moved here from New York after earning my PhD candidacy last summer. And you know, I must say, respectfully, the North will never see me again. I enjoy this world, this universe I'm creating for myself down here in the American South. I enjoy this apartment where I feel safe and free to design it um, in my own perception and conception of beauty. I enjoy singing as I work as well. This song is one of my favorites, Holy by Jamila Woods. And this episode of the Black and Real Life podcast, I'm going to give you a life update to what I've been up to since we last connected. I'm just gonna talk to y'all like I would talk to a friend, so straight off the dome, because I think 
now that we're in our third season, we can get a little more personal, right? Like that's the whole theme of season three. We are getting to know each other, to know our interior lives, to know each other's worlds and to discover new worlds, right? So let me just be real with y'all. Okay, so girl, let me tell you what happened. Past year has been a whirlwind. This time last year, I was apartment hunting for a new place in Atlanta, right? I was just a month away from earning my PhD candidacy. And I have to tell you on like a real serious tip, I was struggling, right? My health was on a decline. Everything was on a decline. It was stressful. I had a lot that I was trying to do. I was trying to coordinate a move. I was trying to deal with just living in New York and as somebody who's very sensitive to their environment and sounds like New York is a hard place to live. It took me seven years to realize this. It's not for me. We move and we literally moved. So I was apartment hunting. I was finishing my last course. I did like a reading a reading course my last semester just to fulfill the last of my course requirements. And I was applying for a major grant. I'll share an update on that. I was a teacher assistant for a course. What else was I doing? I was doing so much. Oh yeah, I was preparing to take my third of three qualifying exams that I would need in order to become a PhD candidate. And here's how the process works. Because this is a question I get a lot. Because a lot of people, don't they don't know what is involved in the PhD process. So let me give you an overview. When you are admitted into a doctoral program, you then essentially become a contract worker. We have a five-year fellowship in order through that time to finish our projects, the projects that we propose. So you give a proposal, you get in, ideally. And in the case of my program, you have five years that you are fully funded. So this funding, this stipend is your livelihood, right? This is how you eat. This is how you you live off this stipend. It's not, I'm not going to act like it's a lot. It's not, it's not, but you know, we make it work. We do what we have to do. If you don't finish your project in five years, then you can stay up to seven years, but you got to pay. You got to find a way to get that money. I am nearing the end of my five years. Um, five years ends next spring. So I'm trying to finish, okay? We're trying to get this done because where's the money coming from? I don't know. So your first three years are coursework. I think personally, you don't need three years of coursework. I've gotten so much more just from being here, doing the actual work of my research on my own. Um, I, I think it depends on like how you work. I work best on my own and being able to like explore ideas before the ideas are shut down, you know? Three years of classes, the most of them didn't really connect with where I'm trying to go in this project. You know, not the best use of my time. But, you know, again, we move. So I completed three years of coursework. And then to become a PhD candidate, it's a, it's multiple things. It's the completing your coursework, getting those credits that you need. It's the writing down a proposal of what your project 
is like, what do you plan to do? Put it in a document. What is, what is, it's kind of like a business plan. Like, what is this project? What is this thing that you're trying to sell to us? Well, we bought it because you got into the program, but we want to make sure you know what you're doing before you go into the field. Despite the fact that you barely get any instruction on what to do when you're in the field, you're essentially on your own, which I don't mind, but let's be real. Here we are. Once you're, once you get the approval, it's just like you're on your own. So you have your coursework, you have your proposal, you then defend or present your proposal to your dissertation committee. Your committee is made up of a number of faculty within your department. You have a meeting with them, you're like, this is what I want to do. They ask you questions, they make sure the project is sound. The idea behind it is like, how feasible is this work that you're proposing to do? So that's one part. The third part is that at least in my program, and every program is different. Every university is different. And every program within a university is different. In my case, in my program, our three exams consist of the following. For the past 18 months, let's say, I've had to, at different points, take an exam. This exam is an essay. Imagine, if you will, let's say 12 to 15 pages written during a 72-hour time period. So that's about four days. You have four days to write 12 to 15 pages on a specific subject related to your research. That subject, so if you have three members on your committee, for example, each member leads an exam. So you would work with that individual member on identifying essentially a syllabus of works that you will review. It's basically like a literature review. A literature review is basically a summary of works that you've read. So you come up with that list, you write an essay on a question related to the materials on that list. Then you send the essay to your committee and all three or all how many people on your committee will review and say yes or no, pass or fail. Think the Lord Jesus, I have passed all three. There are times when an individual may not pass and then they are asked to essentially start that process again and write an essay or build upon what they have. And that, you know, that adds time, right? Especially when you're contracted for five years, you're just trying to get it in because where is the money? Your job in academia, you learn a lot, is begging for money, applying for grants, applying for fellowships. That is a job in itself that you have to do in a top of your job. I passed my exams. I successfully defended my proposal. And on top of that, in order to even do the work, right, go and do what they call the field work, the actual research, I have to get my project approved by what's called the IRB or Institutional Review Board. The Institutional Review Board each university has it. So I, I, my project was approved by the NYU Institutional Review Board. And what they do is make you jump through a lot of hoops, essentially. This is anthropology. Anthropology is the study of human behavior. That's the, the simplest way I can describe it. And when you're working with human subjects, human collaborators, you want to ensure that they are not exploited, right? We've heard of Henrietta Lacks. We've heard of the Tuskegee Airmen. Like, these instances in which individual human beings were exploited by researchers. So you don't want to do that. That's not what we're about. So you go through a separate proposal project for them, which is, I might say, 
even more anxiety ridden because they are very specific. Like they want to read the the language and the emails I would send to people. They want to read how I plan to recruit people. They want to read everything just to make sure you're not crossing any ethical boundaries. You know, they want to know even how are you going to secure the data that you receive, like that level of detail. So like I said, let's do a summary of what I had to do this time last year. Apartment hunting, applying for a major grant, dealing with personal health issues, stress, it'll get you every time. I had hypertension. That's one of the things. My stress, blood pressure through the roof. You know, I'm too young to have high blood pressure, stage two hypertension, but that's what I did. That's that's what I had. I was stressed. It was a lot. New York life. So IRB approval, finishing that course, which is essentially the reading courses to prepare for the last exam because I was smart in making that happen. I was a teacher assistant for a course, working on my proposal to my committee. I already said the IRB proposal. It was a lot. I'm even losing track on everything. It was just a lot to be done in this time last year. I even I flew to Atlanta for a few days to apartment hunt. So in the middle of finishing that grant, preparing for my exam, you know, working on that proposal, making sure I got all the credits I needed, getting the IRB proposal and approval. My job as a teacher's assistant, I was planning to move states that that is that was last year. So did we have a podcast last year? Yes. The last episode of season two launched in February 2022. And then after that, it was just working on this transition. So that's what happened on the personal note. I moved, I officially, finally moved to Atlanta, Georgia, metropolitan area, I would say, last summer. And I moved because I finally, after all that, got approved to start my field work. So that was fantastic. And that grant that I applied for was the Renner Grant Fellowship for Fieldwork Research or Dissertation Fieldwork Research, and I got it. Yes, um, I'm just pretending that you're clapping for me because I needed it. It's a good chunk of change, and that is to help me live and do this fieldwork and have the resources, economic resources, you know, more economic resources I need. I could always use more, so if anyone has some money you want to throw my way. Because here's the thing that people don't realize. Moving from New York to Atlanta does not necessarily mean that my cost of living went down. In fact, it went up. Because one thing that you need in the South that you don't necessarily need in a city like New York is a car. So I had to buy a car on my own. Somehow made that happen. You know, thank God for God. Had to buy a car. The apartments, that that could be a whole story. If you have any questions you want me to ask in some type of Q&A episode about Atlanta, PhD program, whatever, we can make that happen. This city is not cheap. Like the apartment, I actually, technically I'm paying more to live in Atlanta than I did in New York because they don't really have what they call rent stabilization here. And I had a rent stabilized apartment in New York. Not that I like that apartment. I'm so glad not to be there anymore. But the cost of living has gone up is what I'm trying to say. So thank you to the Renner Gwen Foundation for generously giving me this grant that I earned through the proposal I offered. Thank you for your support of my research. If anyone from the foundation is 
or happens to be listening. There's a chance that they could be listening because on the podcast front, although Black in Real Life, you know, I was gone for a minute, we've still been working behind the scenes on just spreading the good gospel of audio and podcasting as a form of scholarship. The Black in Real Life podcast is now part of the podcast library of the American Anthropological Association, which just means that when you go to their website and you look up podcasts about anthropology or podcasts by anthropologists, Black in Real Life is included there. And when episodes come out, they will help spread the word and share that a new episode has come out. So thank you to the AAA, to the American Anthropological Association for your support of the Black and Real Life podcast. Additionally, I was featured, hi, it's me, Anuli. I was featured on the Anthropods, an episode called What Does Anthropology Sound Like? It's part of a series that they do where they talk about different methods of sharing anthropology. And this one was about what it means to share anthropology through podcasts. And so I, along with other anthropologists who also do podcasts, talked about what it means to share anthropology through podcasting. And last fall, I was also invited to participate and co-chair a panel for the AAA conference. Again, that's the American Anthropological Association. They have an annual conference. This last year's conference was in Seattle, Washington. And I was honored to be on a panel with basically like my Anthro friends, like my Anthro besties. It was a selection of, you know, we are boss women of color, anthropologists, just trying to make a way in the world. And we were supported by John Jackson, who is a legend in his own right. I cite his work all the time in my essays, definitely will be cited in the dissertation. And he was supporting our panel as a moderator. My presentation for that panel was about podcasting. The same thing, you know, that's kind of become my calling card. How do we share anthropology through podcasting? I've written an essay about it. I've done podcasts about it. And now I did a presentation on the AAA stage, the big stage, about it. So that is my thing. So just because you haven't heard from me here doesn't mean your girl is not working. She is working. She is spreading that gospel. But it's a gospel that I want to subscribe to. And you should subscribe to the Black and like podcast. Okay, so what else? Because we're really just going off the dome here in this episode. Not all episodes will be like this in case you're new to the podcast. Usually there is an introduction, there is an interview with a cool person, and then at the end there's usually like a summary review where I share other resources related to that conversation. We'll get back into that the next episode, but I wanted this first episode of season three, which is most personal season yet as far as theme, to bring it back to the self. Another thing that we did that I did, I keep saying we like I'm a I'm a team, but essentially I feel like I'm a team, right? I do the I do everything. If you know this podcast, you'll know the ending credits where I basically walk through all the roles of putting this podcast together just to explain the labor of the work and everything I do. So you'll hear that later. But another thing that happened in the past year is that I launched the Black and Real Life Bookshop through bookshop.org as another place for people to access the book materials referenced in each episode of the podcast. Every book that has ever been mentioned on the podcast to date from the first two seasons, as well as additional books I think you'll find interesting, 
you can find on bookshop.org slash black and real life bookshop. So that is my update for you. Thank you so much for your support of the black and real life podcast. Thank you so much for your support of me as a human being. Thank you again. And I can't wait for you to hear what is to come next with this podcast. Just like a little teaser. The conversations, oh man, I'm talking to primarily different creators, artists, different forms of that. We're talking about rest. We're talking about work. We're talking about creative process. We're talking about freedom. And I added something new this season. It's a rapid fire round of questions at the end. Just another way to kind of get behind the screens and learn about our guests. And in just like a fun format, stay tuned. And again, thank you for your support of me and the Black and Real Life podcast. More to come. I am a newly academic and you have just listened to an episode of the Black in Real Life podcast. The program today was produced, edited, and hosted by Anuli Akinebu, with additional support from Anuli Akinebu. Many thanks to Garth, whose song Wild serves as the official theme song of the Black in Real Life podcast. Season three matches up Wild with the song If I Ruled the World, Imagine That by Nas featuring Miss Lauren Hill. For all things Black in Real Life, visit www.blkirl.com. And remember, as always, the people you follow online are also Black in Real Life.